Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of DirtyOldMen.TV. Very happy to have you guys back. Uh, I'm Simon, one of your hosts, and my uh, cohort, the illustrious Mr. Colin Roundtree, my co-host on illustrious. this show. Wow. You're very, illustrious. very illustrious, sir. You're looking very handsome today, if I might say so myself. Why, thank you, Simon. <laughs> and uh, we are very lucky to have uh, a pair of guests uh, on today's show. We've never had that before. It's first time for everything. Uh, we have the the very gorgeous couple. <laughs> I gotta wow. say, you guys are very oh. handsome. You guys, like, I was looking at your headshots earlier, and I was like, "Damn, you guys are are, are, are look amazing." From uh, from Cal Exotics, thank you guys so much for being on. If you guys just want to maybe introduce yourselves and 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 what you do really quickly, um, I think that would be awesome. Sure. Sure. Well, I'm Dr. Jessica Browning. I'm a clinical psychologist and sex therapist. And I work with people who have a lot of different concerns, everything from depression and anxiety to very specific sexual concerns. And my husband works with me when we work with couples, which is a lot of fun, couples work. Yeah, and my name is Ryan, and I'm a certified life coach. And we have a very unique approach when working with people. Um, aside from our work with Cal Exotics, we work with couples to help help them have better intimate relationships to communicate better and have better intimate lives together and it was really a perfect fit for us to work with Cal Exotics because now we can actually refer them to the best products in the marketplace for achieving the goal of having a better physical connection together. This honestly sounds like a perfect setup for one of our movies. Like, does <laughs> I have to ask, does this result in, in like a ton of awesome foursomes? Like, this sounds like the best job ever. <laughs> it is the best job ever. I, I don't know if this is the part where someone comes in and, and offers us a massage or something. Or some variation on the pizza boy theme. Um, one thing I was going to note um, on this, you know, as you were talking, uh, one of the sites that we run is um, shush.com, SSSH.com, that we've had for about 11 years, and it's primarily always been, you know, kind of a site for women by women. But we were just kind of looking at our demographics over the last probably nine months, and we're just seeing a tremendous growth in the number of couples. Um, who are joining the site together because there, there's a lot of how-to guides and advice columns and interaction in there that they can do. So um, it is interesting that couples are now um, exploring sexuality together because, you know, in our many years of experience, it's, you know, sort of adult entertainment tended to be a very solitary um, thing. So it's, sure. it's, encu it's encouraging and it sort of resonates with what you're talking about in your practice. Um, yeah, it, it, it's very fascinating actually because you know, because sexuality is so demonized in our culture here, certainly mm -hmm. in Northern America, uh, it's very different in Europe, but certainly here, it's like, you know, a man can have his own fantasy life, a woman can have her toys and her fantasy life, but for couples to do it together is actually very exciting because there are so many couples that separate and divorce and cheat and do all kinds of things because they aren't working together on their right. relationship. Right, right, right. Um, so do you see it, um, sort of the nature of sexuality changing over the last um, five to ten years with sort of the upsurge of community sites and things that people participate in together? Um, so is this sort of a, the old 1950s mores and taboos and solo masturbatory fantasy, never talk about it with anybody? Is that loosening up in our culture 
a little? It's, it's loosening up to the extent that people have permission to talk about it. Mm -hmm. It still is difficult for people to actually incorporate new and exciting ways of pleasing each other into their yep. relationship. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and that's, that's really the difference, is that now we can talk about it, we can discuss it, the doors open, but actually taking those steps, that's where people sometimes have a hard time because it's it still is difficult to reveal your fantasies to someone. And that's where yeah. people need assistance and guidance and why we're so excited about the opportunity we have to help people to achieve mm -hmm. those goals. That's Do you find that like, I, I'm just curious as to what the average age of couples that you work with is because I, f I find that like, as, as I'm getting older with, with myself and my wife, as we're getting older, we're getting like, we've always been pretty good at communication and stuff, but, like, when we were younger, just, like, a penis and a vagina was plenty, right? Like, for everyone. But as you get older, I don't know if that gets, like, you know, you lose the spark a little bit. You know, you don't have that excitement of, of dating for the first time or, the, you know, you start learning each other's bodies or whatever. So I'm just curious, do you find it that it's, like, not old people, but older, you know, like, maybe late 20s, 30s, 40s? Do you find that that's more the common age where this starts to occur? I think that's a great question because I, I think people question. do assume that it takes a while in terms of our personal maturity level before we're able to really go there and discuss these things. But what we've noticed that's so interesting is younger people are more fluent in talking about sexuality. They've right. grown up with mass media showing them images of how you should have sex and how you should look and how to please your guy. And they're much more fluent in actually talking about these things and yet we notice such an inability to connect intimately. So mm. when we deal with younger people, we really focus on intimacy and sometimes teaching people how to date or how to form an intimate connection. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Also, so Jessica, I'll just wide, ask you to move. There's a spectrum, obviously. Um, there's definitely new, you, I, we've actually spoken to young couples who they, they actually worry about, I don't want this to get stale. I know there's, mm. you know, the three main positions. <laughs> You know, what can I do to avoid <laughs> that feeling that this may get old fast? I want to keep it fresh. I want to keep it new. And then there's definitely the older group who, okay, we've been doing this a long time. How do we bring some newness and excitement back? Right. Jessica, can I ask you to, like, move over a little bit closer to, sure. to Ryan? There you go. Nice and, okay. nice and cozy. There, you're in frame. <clears throat> All right. So now that you're nice and cozy, um, one of the things we're going to do on the show for the first segment now is kind of take a a trip through time um, about sex toys. Uh, Ryan and Jessica have brought um, a goodly number of sex toys um, that, um, that they're going to hold up and point at. It's going to uh -huh. be like a, kind of like a cooking show. Um, <laughs> cooking show let's go, dildos. A cooking show. So speaking of dildos, um, let's take a trip through time. When was the first dildo invented? You know, people don't actually know when. What we imagine is that dildos have been around forever, that there are many artifacts that are phallic. Some archaeologists have called them batons, but <laughs> the ones that are shaped more like a penis and, and definitely resemble more of a phallus, we know were used as dildos. Now that could be as you know, as way back as 28,000 years ago, which is so amazing because a lot of times when we look at our modern sex toys, we think that we invented this. Like, wow, yeah. this was a great idea. I thought, but the, I thought the Earth was created 6,000 years ago. <laughs> so, um, and, and what were they made of back in, you know, Paleolithic times? <laughs> Uh, stone. <laughs> yeah, giving a new giving a new meaning to rock hard. Right? <laughs> yeah, so, oh, how long have you been cooking that one up? I've been cooking that one up 
all day. <laughs> I actually went to an exhibit about, um, I think it's in China, you know, where they had that like underground like tomb or whatever, and they had like all the statues or whatever, uh, yep. you know, uh, like the lifestyle statues of, of everyone, like lakes of mercury and stuff. And, and one of the, like, a huge part of the exhibit was sex toys from like ancient China. And I, I remember like walking by and I was like, wow, that is fascinating. And yeah, it was usually made of like stone or whatever. And uh, it, it, well, those it are just the ones that we see now, you know, those are the ones that have remained in. Right. You make a, you make a right. great point. People wanted to bring these into the afterlife. Yeah, They were exactly. so important right. yeah. to their day-to-day -day life that they wanted to bring them with them. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so, assuming that such implements existed a long, long time ago, um, human beings tend to find ways to sell things that they know other people enjoy. How far do sex shops go back? I'm assuming a long way. <laughs> well, as, as far as we know, documented about 2,000 years ago is when they were able to unearth um, the first one that they dated back in Athens, actually, and it was in a brothel, and the presentation of items was really such that it was like a sex shop. There were all different really? dildos and probes and, um, you know, that's quite amazing because there was a great choice, you know, among their customers of toys to use at the brothel. Yeah, and according to a number of historic texts, I mean, the Greek culture was certainly very um, open with sexuality and so uh, it's not uncommon to, to hear stories about those first products being you know, sold in marketplaces. Mm -hmm. That's amazing to me because it just goes to show that, like, it's funny now how how today, like, you can show someone's head being blown off on TV, but like, show any kind of like actual sexuality or whatever, and it's just like, <gasps> no. And it, it's so funny how how, except in France and Germany. <laughs> except in yeah, France. Yeah, but that's a great point. Actually, <laughs> but... in in Europe, you know, you can go into a mall and there will be an adult shop that is it's just no big deal either you're going to walk in or not mm -hmm. but there's no nobody looking down their nose at it whereas right. here you know either people are walking into a shop and they're completely terrified or they go in for shock value but in europe a lot of a lot of european countries it's very common I, well, th those are the people that all got on the boat that went to holland for a little while before the dutch threw them out and they landed in massachusetts and <laughs> sort of the, the seeds of our puritanical society or the the dregs of um repressed Europeans that fled because they were just too strange. But, but we're going off on a tangent now. Yeah, but, we um, are. Um, okay, so if, you're, um, so if people are having sex, then they're having sex with phalluses and sex toys and things. And if you're going to do any of those things, it's always good to have a little lube or sometimes a lot of lube. Um, how far does lube go back? Where did that come from? You know, that's, that's really great. The, the first lubricants that people have documented have been different oils. And mm -hmm. one of the more common ones was actually olive oil, which uh, when you're eating salad, you can, you can think of the origins <laughs> of, uh, right. of lube. Right, all the different ways that <laughs> olive oil has been used throughout time. So, and, uh, olive oil. <clears throat> yeah. and, and Simon also referred um, a little bit to... Uh, China back there with the statues and things like that. One thing I always think of <clears throat> when it comes to sex toys in China, I always think of Benoit balls. Mm -hmm. Talk about Benoit balls. It's such a fun name to begin with. And where, where did those come from? Yeah, that's really amazing. Benoit <laughs> balls were actually intended for a man's pleasure. You know, the, the balls that were typically metal, sometimes they 
were clangy and, and had vibration in them because they had moving parts inside. Um, it would actually provide pleasure for the man during intercourse, oh, okay. um, which is amazing because it wasn't until fairly recently in the last century that we've come to see Benoit balls as Kegel exercisers and something that women use. And great but to use while vacuuming the house. <laughs> <Get exactly. laughs> or interesting. So, yeah. so as, 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 in, as in with the lingerie industry, um, Fredericks of Hollywood is obviously intended for the man's pleasure, whereas Victoria's Secret is for the women. Um, it's, it's always interesting to see different um, intentions for you know erotica products. And I, like, yeah. I like that it's coming out more for women now, and, and sexuality is becoming... It seems more and more about women and for women. I mean, shush, you see the, you know, uh, the site that Colin uh, helps run with uh, um, Angie. Angie, yeah. I, I, I didn't know if I should call her, like, what, what I should call her. Anyway. That's fine. That's fine. Um, she's, she was on Nightline a couple she was, of weeks oh, ago. That's true. So okay, so I wasn't sure. Okay, out. so yeah. I can just call her Angie now. Okay, cool. Awesome. So, um, yeah, it's nice to see that sexuality is becoming more for women as opposed to, like you said, you know, the Benoit balls would go in the woman, but it was for the man, right? Mm -hmm. And there was like kind of like that the the importance was placed on the man's pleasure. And it's really nice to see the women take coming to the forefront and saying, Hey, no, I I like this too and I want this to be about me as well. Have you seen have you seen that in like maybe your, your couple sessions or or in the toys that you guys are helping to uh, market and yeah, well, we're going to talk a little bit more about that when we really talk about Cal Exotics okay. and kind of the revolution of Cal Exotics. But certainly that's something that there's been a big shift where, you know, years ago, really sexuality was about the man and making sure that the man's needs were taken care of, you know, after a long, hard day. <laughs> but, um, yeah, there's definitely been a big shift where women have kind of reclaimed. I mean, that's what the sexual revolution was all about, right. was kind of yeah. reclaiming the right to have pleasure. Right. And, and if you look at the sheer volume of uh, product, which we'll talk about a little bit later, yeah. um, most of the product out there, I notice, seems to be intended for women. I mean, the only thing I can think of is that strange thing, that big box that um, real touch that I'd be just afraid to put anything in it. It's so scary looking. It looks like a giant pencil sharpener. Um. Well, and, and that's actually, it's interesting because the pendulum definitely shifted. There's, you know, been a shift toward addressing female sexuality, sometimes to the point where when we discuss this with couples, men actually feel a little left out. So yeah. introducing toys to couples, surprisingly, mm -hmm. is something that mm -hmm. is much more challenging for the man, typically, who's worried about having the other penis in the room. Yeah, being yep. replaced. That's right, a big right, issue right, right. for men. That's mm -hmm. a good point. I hadn't even thought about that. I mean, like I've used toys in the bedroom and it's it's never really occurred to me, but it, it's true. I mean, like actually it's funny, like the Hitachi magic wand, I, I, I began to call that the, the boyfriend replacer or the husband <laughs> replacer because every girl that you know we've introduced it to is just like, I don't need anything else. But it, it's funny well, how there's I, that I think, a little bit I of that, that competition. There's, there's definitely that idea that you know there is the boyfriend replacer of course that always turns out not to be true right because you you can't really ever replace um the contact and the physical you know needs that are expressed between a man and a woman or but if you can you need to work on that relationship right <laughs> if that's really what's happening there's obviously something else going on but definitely for men that is a huge issue the idea that you just commented on that wow she's not going to need me anymore right Right. But I think it is also it's it's a whole different story, even 
you know, whether you're holding the Hitachi magic wand, for example, or your, you know, lover is holding it, right? It's, it's, I, I would imagine, or I think it's a lot more pleasurable to have someone else hold it even because the control's kind of out of your hands a little bit and you still have that human interaction. And I think that human inter- interaction is really the, um, what's the word, like the arousal, the, uh, what's really driving the arousal. And not yeah, to mention that, and not to mention the thing weighs like nine pounds. It's about the participation between yeah. the couples. You know, a man getting to use that on his partner, really that's what's creating that kind of closeness between the couple is that they're sharing that experience together. I just I was looking through the show notes just now and I'm seeing hand cranked vibrator, which which oh, is yeah, a good segue that. from yeah. from the yeah. back, magic back wand. History of uh, products. I just yeah. couldn't help but see it out of the corner of my eye. Popped up in 1734, apparently. You know that's it's amazing because there you know at, at that time there were many ailments that women had that were attributed to hysteria. And hysteria was kind of the catch-all phrase for the lady problems of the day. And when it came to treating these problems, women actually went to doctors who would manipulate them with their hands. And doctors who grew tired and probably had carpal tunnel syndrome and repetitive (laughs) motion injuries from doing this thought that it was really great to introduce mechanized versions that could produce the relief from these symptoms. So it's it's actually quite amazing that, that that's where the vibrator came. It was actually a medical device. And I'm, guessing, and I'm guessing that like almost all great 18th century inventions, it was probably invented by Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> well, he, he may I, have I wouldn't be surprised. Thing. I wouldn't be surprised. You know, I swear, this right. is, Colin, this is literally gold for coming up with scene ideas. <laughs> it really is. Um, speaking of scene ideas, cock rings with eyelashes. <laughs> I noticed that in your hilarious. show notes too. The the history of cock rings, um, looking at the earliest cock rings, you know, certainly a cock ring was meant to constrict blood flow in the penis, and the first ones were actually quite flexible, and they were made, uh, made of goat eyelashes, the actual, you know, lashes still intact. Um, the eyelids, the actual fleshy part? Yeah, like it actually was something that had to be tied around the penis to Ooh. produce that constriction. Okay. Um, but what's so funny is the eyelashes were actually left on as ticklers. So there was some awareness that a man could please a female partner. Mm-hmm. What and aren't then, goats good for? I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, <laughs> mowing the lawn? Uh, milk. They're amazing milk. at mowing the lawn. Yeah, they're, like, they're yeah, good they're for everything. Cool. Yeah. Uses. <laughs> so when they're done mowing your lawn, you can turn them into a cock ring. That's amazing. Humanity yeah. in the, in elder days was just awesome. I just I'm I'm glad we have that that history to fall back on. It's actually it's actually amazing to me that we were so sexualized for so long. I mean, it's not even something that I ever thought about, you know, because you grow up and sex is something that's so you know pushed down and pushed back. And I was mm-hmm. like scared of of sex for a long time when I was younger just because of all the you know don't get pregnant don't get a don't get you know STDs you know I have to be careful don't have sex da, da, da. and then that like translating into my 20s um, you know I obviously I, I lost my virginity in my in my teens my late teens but I, even late into my uh, 20s I was still I, I remember thinking like wow I still have that little bit of that fear and I remember like realizing it so it's amazing to me that there's this kind of history and sex has been awesome 
for a long fucking time. And yeah, it, but again, what's what's fascinating is you know cultures have been really open to it in the past, and as you know, in our society, it has been demonized. Yeah. It's something that people mm -hmm. are afraid mm -hmm. to talk about, and really is shunned and shameful and embarrassing and all kinds of different things. And what's really exciting about right now is that people are starting to kind of turn that corner and feel a little bit more excited about the opportunities. I just saw, I, I, I should have seen this earlier, but uh, following up that hand crank vibrator, a steam powered vibrator, wouldn't that get hot? Oh, yeah. like, does, would that not get like really hot? It, well, it, it actually was such a large device that they had to keep the mechanism in the other room and with somebody the in there throwing coal used. into it. Like a, like <laughs> Very big production. Yeah, it was a whole production. They, they oh, kept God. it in, in two separate rooms. Um, so the part that was actually used was visible and didn't look like a big piece of ugly machinery. But um, again, it was in the interest of treating these women and you know the the great minds of that time were really looking at wow you know the, the way we're going to cure women of hysteria is to produce orgasms and that's um it's kind of funny and and, and perhaps that would make a good film there's actually a film hysteria <laughs> with maggie gyllenhaal that is a somewhat accurate account yeah. at least based on the creation really? of the first vibrator and the name of that film was again? Because I do want to. Hysteria. Hysteria. I think yeah. it's an independent film. I think it actually okay. um, came out a couple of weeks ago in, in limited release, but okay. it certainly would be time for a porn parody. I, I, <laughs> I would watch it. <laughs> okay. I just added that to my list. Right. Yeah, um, back, back to Cockrings for a second, though. Um, you know, as with so many things, the Chinese culture is kinky to the point of depraved, um, you know, for the several thousands of years. And on your little fun facts here, it's talking about the ivory cock rings. Um, describe that to me, because it sounds like, wow, those are collector's items. Well, you know, that was, that was the big advancement when you were talking about the goat eyelids. I was just laughing because I was thinking of the person, you know, the, the Chinese man who looked at the goat and thought, wow, those eyelids could go around my <laughs> penis and I could have a great erection. So, you know, the improvement on that to use ivory and actually to be able to carve something that was a solid ring that, again, was an erection ring and something that was artistic and beautiful. Yeah, and or, ornate designs. I mean, you know, something that they put a lot of energy into. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, the Chinese love dragons, so they put a lot of dragon designs. And, and I think that the thing that was most intriguing that we learned about this is that in carving these dragon designs, they got to the point where they left an extended tongue that would now be separate from the ring, providing a little nubby for clitoral stimulation, yeah. um, again, with some awareness for female pleasure. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Interesting. Um, continuing down the list of interesting stuff you've got on here, Butt plugs. It's just a it's a fun word to say. A butt plug. <laughs> butt plug. Especially like in a crowded, crappy restaurant like a Denny's or something like. Just just say butt plug loud enough for people to hear you, and the room goes silent. Uh, let's talk about let's talk about butt plugs. Sure. Well, you know we don't know a lot about the history of butt plugs. We do know that you know again in Europe there were doctors who had recommended the use of at least an insertable egg 
that was meant to press along the prostate um, and actually prevent wasteful ejaculation. So I, I'm not sure if they thought it would inhibit someone from ejaculating or if they knew that by pressing it and stimulating the prostate, they could have more ejaculation. I'm, I'm not sure to what extent they used it, but it is really interesting that they had some awareness of the prostate gland as something that was related to all of this. And that's something that, again, in modern sexuality, we've only revisited recently in terms of the P spot, like the male G spot. Right. So, so we've covered, covered a, lot of, um, a lot of territory, anything from stone to steam-generated <laughs> devices. And then along with a lot of other um, interesting technological trends, which led us to the Internet and being able to talk in three different states or one country and two different states and five time zones, electricity came along and enabled all of this to happen. It also seems to really lit a revolutionary fire within the sex toy industry. So talk a little bit about that, like, like the first portable vibrator. Um, you know, maybe just let's, let's cross the industrial revolution into the technological age now. <laughs> now that, that's really amazing because as other appliances were becoming electrical and the need for using electricity in the home for the daily demands of cleaning and stuff, as, as that became important, so did making a portable electric vibrator. And I think it was actually the fifth appliance to go electric. Yeah. Um, really? Sewing machine, <laughs> fan, toaster. Yeah, there, there were a few. It actually yeah, they, preceded the vacuum cleaner. Yeah. So it was very high really? on the priority list. So sex um, is like right necessity, under. Right? Necessity is yeah. the mother of all invention. So. Well, I mean, it's right I, under I, their food and like a fan, like you said. Right. So you want to stay cool and you want to be fed, and then you can have, right. you know, it's right up there. The first uh, invention. It was thought of as being really important, and I, I believe Hamilton Beach actually made one, and we probably have one of their blenders. Um, <laughs> I think that was like 1915, something so, like yeah, that. Yeah, so wow. it was it was very early on, and it's it's really impressive that there was such a market for it. There was such an openness and. The great interest in the product, certainly because they were considered medical devices, actually made it permissible to advertise in home magazines and ladies' magazines yeah. in a way that if you look at these old advertisements, it, it looks comical to us, but you know, it's in improved health, health, increased vigor, and it's thought of as something that's that's so helpful and necessary, which is amazing. That's fascinating. And I'm uh, reading your notes about this um, British physician, Joseph Mortimer Granville, um, who invented the battery-powered one. But it wasn't intended for women. What, what was that all about? Well, he actually, and, and I believe that, that that's the one that, that they talk about in the movie Hysteria, his interest was in, this was for the skeletal muscles of men. He, he thought mm -hmm. it shouldn't be used on women. And doctors of the day had been engaged in this practice of treating hysteria. So he was quite upset, but um, it, was, it was too late. By the time people realized that they could have a portable vibrator, they were too excited about using it. It was used by women, and, yep. and that, that wasn't his intention, though. Okay, and then sort of a, a turning point, which um, I guess of 1952, um, sort of coinciding roughly with the era of the Kinsey Report, and I'm sure we've all seen that movie at this point, yes. the, end, the End of Hysteria. Um, Talk a little bit about that and what that really meant as far as sort of the advancement of sexuality, at least in our culture. Well, you know, hysteria was that catch-all disease for women. And at some point, 
the American, the American Medical Association and other medical organizations started to explore whether or not this was a legitimate disease and started to look at the symptoms and the symptoms actually greatly resembled the symptoms of arousal. And there were many different conditions that they believe were relieved by the treatment of hysteria. But in 1952, they actually came around to saying, this is not a disease. And there actually are other hysterical symptoms that we look at in psychology. They now fall under conversion disorders. We don't have to get into that. But they started to actually decipher what could be considered real psychological disease and mm -hmm. looking at, at different medical conditions. And no longer could they say You're that horny. a woman who experienced these symptoms was suffering from a disease and needed to be treated so, by a doctor. So, so it was it was very liberating for women. Wh the, the, what I don't understand here, you know, if I'm understanding correctly, is that basically the medical association thought that like a woman being aroused or horny was was like a disease, right? That's basically what I'm getting. That's hysteria, right? And well, and yet, I mean, going back thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years, I mean a long time, there's like there's sex toys for women, specifically for women. I, I mean, how does the knowledge of the ages get lost? I mean, obviously they know that they're, you know, women have sexuality. I mean, how how does that get mis misinterpreted? Was it just like closed-minded? What what was it? What caused I that? I think that's I mean, a great question. It's yes. it's it's kind of a sign of the times that a woman complained of different ailments. It could be a, a headache, um, vaginal wetness. They all a whole constellation of of different symptoms was now put into this one diagnosis that you know they came up with hysteria. The idea of hysteria at at one point you know. You think of a hysterectomy, it's, it's the removal of the uterus. Hysteria is really about the wandering womb. It's the idea that oh the God. uterus in a woman causes terrible things and wreaks havoc and, and can create oh. many well, different Well, technically it does. It, technically it does because <laughs> yeah. those little demons come out of there and then your house is a mess constantly. You never sleep anymore. Just de I understand. Well, I think that takes us to our our uh, commercial break. Um, we're going to take. Um, we're, we'll find something interesting from Cal Exotics to put up, um, and we'll be right back. Now that we've actually hit the sexual revolution, to talk about Cal Exotics, modern toys. We'll have our cooking show, and we'll probably <laughs> we'll probably wrap it up with just a little comedy segment about the strange and arcane sex laws in various parts of the United States about <laughs> various toys. So we'll be back in a minute. So we'll see you then. Hello everyone and welcome back to Dirty Old Men TV. Thank you for continuing to watch. We have uh, the uh, very handsome couple, uh, Ryan and Jessica, still on the show with us. We're going to talk a little bit more about Cal Exotics, where it started, where it's going, where it is right now, uh, and some of your guys' awesome products. So uh, can you maybe start with uh, a little bit of the history of Cal Exotics? Well, Cal Exotics is really special because as sex toy companies were emerging and people started to mass produce these wonderful pleasure items in the horizon of mostly black and ivory toys came Susan Colvin who is the founder of Cal Exotics and in 1994 thought that it was time for women to be in charge of these toys and they didn't have to all be black and white they could be different colors and they could be more appealing to women so Cal Exotics brought new energy, new technology, and a new perspective that toys 
could really be for women and couples. And, and really into a male-dominated industry. Oh, yeah. Sure. I mean, you know, one thing that always fascinates me, you know, being in the adult industry since 94, I'm one of the old guys as far as online, just how far back this, this kind of club called The Founders, and I'm not right. saying that yeah. in a bad way. I mean, but basically, you want to talk about the original dirty old men. I mean, the, the Founders go all the way back to the early Doc Johnson days and... Mm -hmm. I'm thinking early 60s. The 60s, yeah. So, so basically what you're saying is that men originally for a long time made the sex toys for women. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And that's one of the things that's really dynamic about Cal Exotics is, you know, it's really for women by women, even though there are men involved in the company and who help obviously with the men, male products and couples products. But really that idea that um, there's female energy that's actually representing so many of the toys that are being manufactured, let's look at it from a woman's point of view. And so she was really revolutionary in that way. Well, I so mean, we you can only know the plumbing if you got it, right? I mean, that must help, right? <laughs> like, I mean, just, I mean, I just want to harp on that a little bit because I think it's really amazing that, that men did that or, or it, it, just that that occurred. I, I doubt they were like, we're not going to let women in here, but, I, or maybe they did, God knows. But, you know, just the idea of, of, of men trying to do that, how, how did they... How did they think they knew what they were doing in terms of what would pleasure a woman? And then when women did enter the industry, were they finally like, okay, this has been wrong all of this time. This is how you yeah, actually have to do that's it. A, that's a great question, but that still goes on now. I mean, even if you look at a lot of pornography that's made, it's not really made for women. It, it's made for men, and yet it doesn't accu accurately represent what would be pleasurable to a woman. <clears throat> So yeah, I, a lot of I, it is still made from a male point of view. Right. I don't think that most women, um, <clears throat> in my experience with helping Angie run our women's site, um, are really looking for go right into instant anal double insertion, <laughs> do three positions, right. gag, gag until you almost puke, <laughs> have some two guys come in your face while they're pulling your hair and slapping you. That, to me, does not sound like it's intended for a women's well, audience. Absolutely. <clears throat> and if we know anything about, you know, the female body is that it has to be warmed up. It, it's, mm -hmm. you know, slower to respond than a man. I think with a man, it takes, you know, like one second from the thought to the erection. You know, it, it, there's <laughs> nothing that has to happen for yep. a guy to be prepared, whereas women do need that process. And again, that's what's so fascinating about Cal Exotics. It's in that same kind of philosophy of, but what about women? And let's really look at what women like and what women are going to enjoy. And so a lot of the products that started to be manufactured were, they were more sensual and they had different colors and they had different shapes and thought about the, the different kinds of women's bodies because not every woman has the same genitalia and the same body. So there's different products that have been mm -hmm. manufactured with that in mind. So speaking of products and attractive ones that are, are not all pink, but are That's a great uh, transition. that are that are pleasurable to women, um, you brought along a nice little arsenal of toys from Cal Exotics today. Yes, we um, did. Go ahead and you know don't demo them. Well, I, I think, I think the, first one we're really show, start, the first one we want to show is really probably one of the products that became really famous in the mainstream or very, very famous TV show called Sex in the City, and it was really what introduced a lot of people to the famous rabbit. rabbit. Yeah. So when the white the, rabbit the peaks. The first and original rabbit is this guy right here, um, which had a cord, a big controller right here. And this, by the way, is still very popular, but um, basically 
what you get here is I'm going to uh, see if you can see that, but there is oh, these yeah. rabbit ears right here, which are for clitoral stimulation, and a little rotation in the head and these floating beads. So this was really the, the first rabbit that was manufactured. And what's really exciting is, you know, women finally had a toy that was made with their bodies in mind, that it wasn't just about using a toy for penetration. It was the idea that most women, in fact, 80% of women, need clitoral stimulation as part of arousal to reach orgasm. So this is a dual motor toy that now has a part for penetration and a part for clitoral stimulation. So we're, we're definitely looking at the oldest version of it, but it's come a long way, baby. Yeah, so we're going to show you a couple of products in the evolution of the rabbit. because I'm sure, I'm sure that Sarah Jessica Parker, Parker has at least 20 of them that were sent to her for product placement at this point. So. <laughs> right, yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure she'll have enough rabbits for the rest of her life. That's right. And I, I, I do hope we, we uh, send her some of the newer ones because we showed you that first one, and that was very impressive at the time. But now the new generation of rabbits, and Ryan can hold up the next is, one. Yeah, I'm is there any? Sorry, I just, I just want to know: is there any relevance to a rabbit? I mean, obviously there's there's the clitoral stimulation part there. Um, was it was is there any relevance to the word rabbit, like or you know the animal, or like for whatever reason? Well, I'll, we'll answer the question this way. Originally, when some of these products were manufactured, that one actually has a face. That's what I was going to show. Yeah. Um, they actually couldn't be shaped phallic. They had to. They had to have a face, something that made it less phallic and more, I don't know, personable. I don't know. I, guess I don't know if you can what? see this. There's actually oh, it's, it's, got, it's got Disney eyes. Oh, my God. <laughs> There's actually that a is face, bizarre. Which, which was very common, especially with the first Japanese toys that were made. They couldn't yeah. look like penises. So having a face so it's okay made it less to... phallic. And, and perhaps instead of having generic clitoral stimulators, having a rabbit also made it a little bit more palatable. That but the rabbit is actually kind of a, a brilliant design because the ears vibrate and they straddle the clitoris. Right, and yeah. again, provides a lot of stimulation to that area. Now, again, just in the evolution of the product, obviously the next version would be no controller. So this is, this is a no controller version. Now, this is actually a brand new, very high-end silicone rabbit, just in terms of the material becoming much more high-end. But... Again, just in terms of the evolution of the design, one that didn't have a controller. So all the controls were right here on the front, much easier to operate. Um, and, you know, again, just kind of looking at the evolution, this was the next version. So I'll show that to you right has, here. Has NASA hit you guys up at all in order to send some, some of these to space by any chance? <laughs> I, I, I think I, that would be wonderful. Maybe, yeah, maybe we should. It's uh, actually a totally serious question. I'm not even what, joking. Like, I absolutely think. <laughs> What was the name hey, well, of the product? We'll, we'll, just in case uh, we'll, we'll people think about that one. going forward. What was the name um, of that product? I know product? We're, we're, you know, somewhat short on time, so I just want no, to show no. you. The... Uh, what was the name of that product? Because some people are going to want to buy that. Oh, this this one right here is actually the silicone jackrabbit. Jackrabbit. Okay. Wonderful because it's made of silicone. We know silicone is a top of the line material. It's non-porous, doesn't harbor bacteria. Very and this, smooth. This, this again was just this is the original jackrabbit. Just because this is still selling, which is still popular. Yeah, Some people amazing. like the idea of having the controller separately, yeah. and there are a lot of possibilities for having it separately as opposed to controlling it from the bottom of the toy. So it still is preference. That and it's something, uh, you know. Uh, a woman can be holding it in place, so to speak, and a man can be controlling right, it. So right. there's some, some use there that's kind of interesting. 
Now, again, just in terms of the evolution, the, whole thing, yeah. the next one is really fascinating. This is actually the rechargeable jackrabbit. So we went from batteries to that just looks... takes the base off, okay. and that's right. It plugs right into the wall. And as you can see, it's a very similar design, but again, this is rechargeable. So that's kind it, of fascinating. Has the material is, 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 is the next generation? Is the next generation of that going to be a near-fill technology thing? Like the thing that you throw your iPhone on? You don't plug well, it me, in. It just... Now, into it. <laughs> now that you mentioned that, actually, here, here it is. And it's actually plugged into my computer. This Holy has uh, got a USB charger right here at the bottom. Right. So I'll just Anything? take it. Yeah, that's right. So we got our USB charger plugs right into the computer. So I'll just take off that charger. So you can charge your iPhone. You can charge your vibrator. That's right. Really simple. <laughs> and have it conveniently right next to your computer. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? So if you are watching some of your videos. When you're going to shush.com, SSSH.com. Yeah, go to go. You, you can go. have your. I'm I'm curious about the the materials because the materials like the actual material in which it's constructed, on the outside, like the actual part that's touching the skin, has that changed or evolved at all from the very first? Oh, to, yeah. I mean, it oh, looks definitely. even yeah. on camera, it looks like it has a little bit. Well, a lot of the earlier toys, and you can perhaps see it on the original Jackrabbit, um, have more of a jelly look to them yeah, and. Yeah. If you remember a lot of the original jelly toys, of course, they're still made, and a lot of people enjoy them because of their feel, but they can be a little sticky, or they can have a scent to them. So the newer materials that either are lower-grade silicone or higher-grade silicone tend to step away from the scent and the stickiness and are more hygienic, more luxurious, last longer. So the new materials are amazing. And some of the materials that are used for some of the more lifelike toys are, I mean, the ones that are made now are far superior to the ones made even five years ago. Hmm. So, what, so what other high-techy things have you come up with? I know there's, there's all kinds of technology going from <clears throat> remotely controlled sex toys that you can open up an Android app and <clears throat> vibrate your girlfriend while she's at the mall by surprise. I don't know if you have those, but what are your high tech things? definitely has the, you know, the, the vibrating panties where, you know, you can be out at dinner, the wife is wearing the vibrating panties and, and the husband's across the table and he's got the controller in his pocket and he can just kind of zap whenever he wants. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of technology that is really interesting. This next one is very fascinating as well because uh, this has something that's called a, um, was it the, the memory chip? Yeah, this actually, what's, what's great about this is it has a state-of-the-art memory chip. We're yeah. looking at the gyrations sensations. So this is a bullet, and yeah, Ryan will hold it. Um, you can't see it vibrating, but it has um, a number of different settings. I think this one has, this has uh, 10. 10 different functions of vibration, pulsation, and escalation. And what's really amazing is if you find what you like, Let's say you like one that pulsates. So let's say it's number four. Out say of it's 10. setting number four. You turn it off. When you turn it back on, you don't have to cycle through to find that same right. setting that your body responded to. It's right where you left off. Is It'll there go back any, to the one you finished on. Is there any yeah. relevance to the actual shape or design of that toy? Because to me, on camera, it looks like uh, a baby alien egg. Is there, <laughs> is there, is there like well, a relevance to the actual like those grooves or whatever? Well, I think, you know, in, in exploring different shapes, and I don't know if you can see the grooves yes, there. Yes, oh, yes, yeah. yeah. Um, basically, experimenting with different shapes, it's, it's all about a person's individual preference. But 
different shapes came about by creating different ridges and different areas of the toy that feel different, that vibrate differently, that have different sleeves. Ryan just removed the sleeve. See, so that's okay. actually a sleeve. So okay. this can be used by itself or you can put on the sleeve for a little. This is very smooth. And mm -hmm. here you get a little bit of texture <laughs> for just a little different sensation. Right. Is the sleeve dishwasher safe? <laughs> I believe it yeah, is. This one, that's a yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay. So it's just amazing <laughs> to me yes. that the design. You can throw all your silicone toys in the top shelf of your dishwasher, and, <laughs> and then invite Martha over. And... <laughs> um, but it's amazing to me the that the care that goes into the design to actually respond to the human body, right? It's not just for looks, right? There's there's a um, there's a reason for you know physiologically to, for it to be there, and that that to me is really important. I think in, in a sex toy because at the end of the day, you're not really looking at it, right? Like, and that's what I'm trying to highlight it a bit is the fact that. It has to feel good, and I like that. There's, there's obviously you guys have had testers, you know, and, and they and they say yes or nay, yay or nay to to each kind of design. I, I imagine during the testing process of a new product, but anyway, the 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 fact that that goes into the design of each toy is really amazing to me. I like that 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 happens. Yeah. It is really great, and and you bring up a great point about testers with Cal Exotics. There's actually a sexpert program. Yeah, Ava, people... Ava, who was on the show last week, she just got anointed by oh, good. the Cal oh, Exotics expert. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it actually, there is a process of selection for sexperts, but as a sexpert, you will be sent various items to test. So it is very important to Cal Exotics that people who are experienced at reviewing toys and know what's out there are able to review and provide real feedback. And I, I can't underscore that enough. The feedback is so important and really guides the production of new items. So it's it's wonderful to see new items that people respond well to because they're actually tested. Right. Is there is there like an exam or something like do you like you know do, how many times do you masturbate per day? One to five times, five to ten like, times. Oh, like, you don't there... masturbate enough. I'm I'm sorry. You're not what we're looking for. Yeah. Um, so there, there are qualifications. You know, you do have to be a blogger and have a site, and, and there is an application process. So okay. it's, it's really great. And, and we work with Cal on clubcalexotics.com, and you will see a lot of sexperts who review items and participate in discussion there. So it really is an yeah. ongoing dialogue about what people enjoy what they'd like to see next, and it's really very exciting. And I just wanted to comment on that, too, because earlier, um, I don't remember who mentioned it, but somebody mentioned, you know, this idea of has social networking and, you know, kind of online media, has that changed the landscape in terms of how people communicate about sexuality? And Club Cal Exotics is a really amazing forum for people to have a place where they can really ask questions and get information that's really vital to you know, about products, about, um, you know, different trends, whatever it is. It, it's a really amazing place for people to gather information. That's fabulous. So sort of um, in line with what you're talking about, sort of the loosening up of communication, um, social networking, whatever, <clears throat> in this country, and, and I live in New England, we've got blue laws coming out the Yazoo up here. I mean, it wasn't until a couple of years ago you could actually buy alcohol on a Sunday in Massachusetts. Um, in, wow. 
also in uh, New Hampshire and Massachusetts, it's, it's illegal to feed your indentured servants lobster more than three times per week because <laughs> they didn't feel it, they felt it was pig food back in the 19th century. There's still a lot of really weird blue laws floating around. Um, you sent some notes on them. Do you want to just just kind of go back and forth with some rapid pace examples of strange things and laws yeah, still this, on the book? Yeah, this is fascinating because, again, this is part of the conversation where sexuality has been an open thing, a shut thing, an open thing, a shut thing. You can talk about it, you can't talk about it. And there still are some really, I, I find them kind of bizarre uh, laws and ordinances that control what you can and can't do. So we'll just kind of mention a couple of those. And I think people will be very surprised to hear this because a lot of times I think we assume that as anti-sodomy laws were overturned in various states, many of these other laws also were no longer relevant. And it's just surprising to see that they, they are. They're alive and well. So. I, think, I think one of my first ones, and I'll start with this because we're in Nevada, we're in the Las Vegas area, <laughs> and this is known as being a very open um, place, but uh, it is actually illegal for any member of the legislature to conduct official business wearing a penis costume. What while the legislature is in session. So, um, you know, Okay, wait. So for that. this law to have come into place, I imagine... <laughs> exactly yeah. what happened. I imagine something had to have happened to... to, yeah, to somebody to, was, was definitely trying to make a point and yeah. it didn't go over well. That, yeah. That's amazing to me. I remember one crazy law, and this isn't sexual, but uh, I forget what city it was in or town or something, but it was, it was illegal for a woman to drive unless there was a man walking 15 feet ahead of her w waving flags. <laughs> it's like, what? Like, I actually think that's still... I think it's still in effect. Yeah, it's still in effect, if I'm not mistaken. Um, let's see what else we got here. We've got... Um, uh, uh, there's in, a couple of good ones in New Jersey. Yeah, I was going to say in New Jersey. <laughs> uh, any couple that's making out inside of a vehicle and accidentally sounds the horn, well, they can go to jail. What the <laughs> yeah. So be careful of that if you're in New Jersey. Yes. I also see the thing about uh, mutual masturbation in New Jersey. Yeah, there's another one. There is one, yeah. About, you know, there's actually a law where you can, it threatens men with a three-year sentence for mutual masturbation. Like with other and, men? Yeah, it's, it's real, and it's, it covers anyone who in private is a party to an act of lewdness or sexual indecency with another. Wait, so that, wait, that's actually a <laughs> so law, not on, just on sexuality, but on homosexuality, right? Well, I mean, that's, that's actually, pretty specific. That's a, good point. a lot of these laws were intended to um, stop men from having sex, certainly yeah. the anti-sodomy laws, the buggery laws. There, there are a lot of laws that were meant specifically for men, but as they were interpreted, some of them came to mean homosexuality, some came to mean bestiality, and some actually did refer to heterosexual intercourse as well, or oral sex. So it's, it's quite amazing. Um, and if you're in New Mexico, just be aware that if you participate in oral sex, well, that could be a $5,000 fine in two to 10 years in, the, uh, the, uh, uh, in jail. So definitely what? want to be aware of that. You got to be some kind of, you got to hate your life. Seriously, to make a law like that, you literally have to hate life. You're just like, fuck this, fucking, and fuck everyone, too. I'm taking the whole world down with me. But you know, the, the, like, the come thing on. that's really fascinating is I, I, I'm, I'm sure that so many of the lawmakers who make these laws are, I don't know, maybe the most perverse and 
uh, and their own way of covering up their own mm. uh, lustful feelings and yeah. uh, mm -hmm. you know behaviors is to enact these laws that are so severe that mm -hmm. they're they're probably guilty but themselves. No one could ever think that they would a, like there it. There were a lot of laws on the books in Utah. A lot of you know not very significant ones, but certainly that had to do with sexuality. Mm -hmm. And Utah is actually a state where. A lot of porn is viewed, a lot of toys are bought, so it's it's very interesting that there are people who are certainly engaging in adult entertainment, and yet they keep a lot of laws on the books, so... I mean, oh, and, doesn't they also, and, and they also wear their, they're required to wear their magic underpants while masturbating, right? <laughs> Never mind, no Mormon bashing, I know Mitt's running for office, but... I, doesn't a lot of this stuff just really, like, stomp uh, all over the Constitution? I mean... To be able to, to, to do something in the privacy of your own bedroom, I mean, it, it, doesn't that... I don't know that there's a lot of lawyers who want to take up that fight, but I'm, I'm absolutely, that is, that is correct. But again, that's what's fascinating about these laws. They seem so severe and over the top and just um, really infringing on your right to do what you want to do in your own home. Well, the, yet, the other... Yeah, go ahead, sir. Go ahead. Uh, the other state, um, you know, we always think of you know, like uh, um, Mormons and, you know, and all of these repressed things out in the West. But one of the strange repressed states, according to this list, is Virginia. And, you know, I know that Virginia has no problem whatsoever stomping on anybody's rights because of that recent thing they enacted, the law about the, um, it was an abortion thing and mandatory testing or something like that. You know, they've been in the news for doing these really sexually repressed, abusive uh, towards women things. There's a couple of funny ones on here. Uh, Virginia, it is illegal to copulate in any position except missionary. <laughs> I, yeah. And I actually, yeah, I heard that referred to in, you know, I, was, I was reading something on a website and they were actually citing that that applies to Washington, D.C., that if you're in D.C., really? don't have sex in any other position but the missionary position. Um, I didn't see it confirmed elsewhere, so we didn't keep it on the list. But I, I thought that that was so interesting that in Washington, D.C., yeah. they've stipulated what position you can have sex in. And I'm and sure all the politicians only do missionary. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. Of course. And I also Brandy noticed and missionary. In, in Virginia, it is illegal to engage in sexual activity with the lights on. Yes. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It, it's really, again, it's really amazing how far people go with their attempts to really restrict how people spend their time intimately with their partners. Or that no one takes issue with this. I mean, we're, we're laughing about it now, but it, it, I think it's actually quite scary that there are still laws like this, and perhaps they're not very enforceable, or perhaps we're really not at risk of having these laws enforced upon us, but certainly if you are in a sexual minority, if you are homosexual, if you are engaged in BDSM, someone could use these laws against mm. you. And yep. they could they certainly could be a vehicle for discrimination. Yeah. It's just the okay. fact that they exist bothers me. Because it's sort of like the laws that like if your windows are too tinted, you could you know, you could get arrested. If your car is too low, if your tires aren't a certain size, it's, there's so many laws that you could actually get pulled over that we have no idea. And they're not really meant to be used, but let's say, for example, they suspect you of something, but they can't really prove mm -hmm. it, and they just need another 24 hours to keep you locked up so they can investigate something else. Then they, then they enact these weird bylaws, right? So yes. just the fact that these weird laws exist, it, it feels like they're just leaving them there in case they need them someday. 
and they can Definitely. pile and they can pile on charges. Yeah, you know, if they if they do find yeah. one, they can pile on some more to make it even more dramatic in court. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but it, to sort of put <laughs> things in perspective, um, worldwide, you know, these laws are kind of humorous and funny, and you know, there's a what we were just talking about, it's not good that we have them at all, but I'm noticing on your list, in Indonesia, the penalty for masturbation is decapitation. Yes. Yeah. Wow. That's wow. still in effect? That, that still exists, like today? That's still... That, you know, that's our understanding. To the, be yeah, to the best, to the of, best our understanding. of our understanding. Yeah. Certainly, if, if there's new legislation, um, you know, we, we'd love that to be brought to our attention. We were so shocked when we saw that, but again, it helps to put it in perspective. We can be upset about things with the lights on and honking the horn and, and things that we find kind of humorous. But the idea that the penalty for masturbation is decapitation, mm -hmm. we're, we're looking at a culture where all of the things that we're talking about and all the fun that we're talking about with sex toys and, and how liberating it's been for women and couples to now accept this as normal and a part of healthy sexuality, we're looking at cultures where masturbation is still looked at as, as something that's punishable by death. It's a bit like who would want to live in a culture in which no one can masturbate? I mean, everyone would just be running around pissed now, off that, all the time. I mean, what? Um, and and not to get ourselves at risk of having a jihad declared on us, but <laughs> <clears throat> how much of this um, is because of Muslim law? Um, you know, because I know. That, I mean, if if we're looking at Indonesia, perhaps, but in our country, there are many different ways that religion can play a part. Um, but again, in, in a political setting, we would hope that there's room for people to practice their individual beliefs and feel very comfortable that the way they live is consistent with their values and their religion, mm -hmm. and that the need to punish others isn't part of that scenario. So right, right. Um, we, we hope, and, and that's why it's really important, and I don't, I don't want to get on the soapbox about this, but as, as sex positive educators, as people in the adult community, as people who really value that we have this wonderful freedom mm -hmm. or that we're holding on to it um, in spite of some of these comical laws, mm. it's really important to fight against things that take away people's rights and that show that the way one person lives and what one person believes can be enforced mm -hmm. upon someone else. And um if this is something of interest to you and you haven't seen it yet, once you finish watching this episode, go back to dirtyoldmen.tv and click on the um, live interview with Diane Duke, the executive mm. director of the Free Speech Coalition, yeah. um, for an entire talk about this entire free speech, um, civil liberties, legislation, and things like that. Um, Looking at the clock on the wall tells me we're going to have to have you back again because we're just touching the surface of it. Scratching but do, it, yeah. Do you, do you have one more toy there that you'd like to just hold up to take us out uh, on a yeah, toy I, note? There's, there's actually two, and they're part of the same collection, and I'll hold them both up. Okay. And this is something that I think is really fantastic because even with all of the female-centric products and couples products that are out there, and this is certainly a couples product as much as anything, but... It's a collection called the Screw Me Collection, and Screw Me as in a <laughs> big socket ring, cock ring. Is that, is, that, uh, that looks like a cock ring for engineers. It's a very it? masculine product, and all of the products in this line um, look like screws and, um, you know, uh, uh, just dif different, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, 
the uh it has different shapes and it's a very smooth texture it's a nice stretchy ring as you see there's a second ring to go around the testicles what we love about the Scroomy collection... Now I'm going to just show you this one as she talks, because I just love this one. Um, oh, that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> this is, as you can tell, it looks like a screw. Um, we got it over a vibrator. Incredible details in here, just in terms of looking, again, like something you'd actually find in a man's garage. And this product in particular is fascinating because, let's see if you can hear this. I don't know if you can hear it. It <laughs> yes. activates on contact. It's vibrating on contact or on a continuous vibration. And this is something that couples can use together to just add a little vibration right to the tip of the penis, which is definitely unique, and it's got these ridges mm -hmm. on the side right here. Um, again, I just love this collection because I think, you know, for any men out there who are, you know, worried about something that's pink or something that, you know, maybe looks a little feminine, this is a really amazing collection. It's very masculine. Yeah, it's for, the, that, for the men who don't like the pink bunnies as right. much. I have to very, ask, though. It's very butch, very butch. I, I really, yes, I, yes. Can't, <laughs> I can't help but ask this question, but whoever designed that line, did they go to MIT? They had to have. I mean, because if, if you're not aware, listeners or viewers, when you graduate from MIT in the engineering, you get an engineering degree from MIT, you get a ring that's a like a bolt, right? Like, and really? it just remind, yeah, it totally reminded me of that. whoever engineered that totally went to MIT, had to. I think what happened was one of <laughs> one of the women it. maybe who's at Cal Exotics was aware of how much time her husband or boyfriend was spending in the garage, you know, <laughs> fixing things, and yep. they thought, okay, I know something that will pull him out of the garage and into the bedroom where he'll feel just as comfortable. Right and that's really what we love about Cal Exotics is that there's an awareness of real people who are normal people and want to have fun. And, you know, we can certainly look at the female perspective and look at the perspective of couples, but let's not forget the men either. And, and I think that that's wonderful. And, and we've enjoyed working with them. So talking about, just let's take us out with one final little plug uh, where people can learn more, all of these fun people, all in a big, happy family. Uh, where is that website that people can go and learn and explore and comment and buy things or read reviews? What is it again? Well, this this is not a commercial site, so there you won't be able to buy things. But Club Cal Exotics. Club Cal Exotics. Is, dot com. Dot com is where you can participate in discussions. You can read reviews about toys. If you're interested in becoming a sexpert, you can learn about that. There's we, a lot of videos. We've done a lot of product videos on there, so you can just get some idea of the kinds of products, the different collections mm -hmm. you may yep. be interested in. And really get to see the toys, you know, up close so that you can see how they work and, and really understand what would be a good item for you. And if you go to calexotics.com, they have the wonderful find a vibe tool so you can look for specific items and say what material you want and what type of toy you want, if you want a G-spot toy, if you want a bullet. And over there, there will be recommended retailers as well. Fabulous. So with that, uh, we're going to have you back for um, more lofty conversation about sexual anthropology and such. And I'm hoping we can bring Ava in with you because that would just be like, oh, that would be fun. like three really, really smart, educated, attractive people. Um, <laughs> and, and she can go in that empty box right there. So we'll be in touch on that. I'm going to go join Club Cal Exotics this afternoon because this sounds Wonderful. like Come join us. Fan we'll keep fantastic. So, so with that, I'm going to turn it over to Simon to take us out of here. And, but, but I want to personally thank you very much. This was just a great, great interview. Yeah, I, I, I actually just want you guys, do you guys, are you guys on Twitter or do you have any social media stuff that you guys want to put out there? Uh, we're, we're 
really focusing on Club Cal Exotics now as the place where we want people to join us and join the conversation. So okay. yeah. check cool. us out there. All right. Yeah, definitely go to Club Cal Exotics. Check that stuff out. The URLs have all been on the overlay there for you guys to, you know, if you haven't noticed them uh, somehow. <laughs> or if maybe you're listening to the MP3, you have heard the URLs. Uh, or check out, you know, we have links to all that stuff on DirtyOldMen.tv. So check that out definitely. Thank you guys so much for being on the show. You guys are amazing, gorgeous. I, you guys have an awesome job and you're doing an awesome job. It's very, very cool. Uh, follow me at Simpatico TV as my cell phone goes off. Again, I apologize for not putting it on a vibrate. At Simpatico TV on Twitter. Uh, and of course, call in at Wasteland Movies on Twitter. And we have uh, a Facebook as well, uh, uh, slash Dirty Men Old TV, or Dirty Old Men TV. And uh, we really want you guys to ask questions. What you, what you guys want us to, to ask our guests or perhaps just general questions in general that we can ask all of our guests. Um, we definitely want to be able to interact with you. And that's why we love Twitter and Facebook so much. So please uh, communicate with us via those methods. And uh, that's about it. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks, Simon. Bye, guys. Thanks Bye. so much.